Associate Professor Susie Wiles is with us now. Good morning to you. Good morning. What interesting topics today. Shall we begin with the how we can read the ancient scrolls without wrecking them in the process? Yeah. So all the stories today are kind of about imaging, and um, this one I just absolutely love. So... Uh, yeah, there's all these ancient scrolls and, you know, for some of them, if you try to unroll them so you can read them, um, it, it destroys them. And uh, there's a, a guy called Brent Seals who about a decade ago showed that actually you could kind of digitally unwrap these scrolls by um, doing uh, taking x-rays of them, basically. Uh, so there's a particular set of scrolls that people have wanted um, to uh, kind of uh, un. Uh, unroll and, and decipher um, for a long time. But what's different about these is that they were um, destroyed during the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. So when that volcano went off, you know how it basically turned everything into, uh, it, 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 it preserved everything really, really well, right? Um, and in the late 1700s, um, there was a, a library that was discovered uh, in Herculaneum, which is one of the towns that was destroyed by Mount Vesuvius, that had hundreds and hundreds of these papyrus scrolls. And when you see a picture of them, they kind of just look like logs of charcoal. But obviously, the experts knew what they were. And they first tried to unroll them. Um, and that was a really bad idea and kind of destroyed them. So they've just been sort of sat there um, for a long time, several hundred years, and uh, and this um, Dr. Brent Seals and his team basically in about 2019 took some really, really high spec um, X-ray scans of all these scrolls. And then earlier this year, they made a real breakthrough. So they basically combined this kind of X-ray imaging with machine learning um, and created a way that they could basically uh, sort of digitally unwrap these scrolls. And then the thing was like, so how do you now tell... Like, can you see the writing on these scrolls? Um, so they then did a really, really cool thing. So they've got lots and lots of data because the X-ray scanning that they did was so high res. So they basically, um, in March this year, they made all of their data and their code available online. Uh, so putting all of their scans online and they launched what they called the Vesuvius Challenge. So the idea of this is that basically there was a, a $40,000 prize to the first personal team that could identify 10 leg legible letters in a four centimeter square area. They called this the first letters prize. And then a grand prize of 700000 to the first personal team that was able to read at least four separate passages of um, text from these scrolls. And so the reason this is in the news now, I mean, what I love about the story is like not only are they kind of releasing all their data, but immediately, like thousands of people started going onto you know online channels to to talk about this, start working together, uh, and it's in the in the news now because that first letters prize has been won. So somebody has managed to look at those scans and basically read the first uh, or find ten legible letters to um, to decipher, and it's so cool. So. It was a, a computer science student, um, Luke Farriter, and he developed a machine learning algorithm and he trained it. And so what they've been able to basically tell is that when there's writing on a piece of this papyrus, um, it forms like a little crackle. And so he was basically able to train an algorithm to pick up these bits of crackle. Uh, and he's managed to identify um, several lines of, of uh, Greek letters, uh, including the word purple which is awesome. <laughs>
you could take something that looks like a little lump of charcoal or sorry, log of charcoal and see that it says the word purple. I'm just, my mind is blown Now I so want cool. to know what's purple. Maybe it was the colour of someone's toga or something. But anyway. Apparently um, that was something in in that time it would have uh, made something to do with status or something. Uh, so, so it might tell you something about what the scroll might be about, right. I guess. Well, let's yeah. see what, what more can be revealed. Uh, now, please reveal why we love fatty foods so much. I think we know why we love sugary ones so much, <laughs> right? But why the fatty foods? Yeah, so this has apparently got a lot to do with how our brains respond to texture. Um and I really love this paper because it's a, it's a study that uh, kind of tried lots of different things, um, again, to look at why we might like the sort of fatty foods. So they started by making a series of vanilla milk- milkshakes um, that varied in their fat and sugar content. And then they um, tried to come up with a way to kind of objectively say, like, what is it about the texture or how do, how do the texture of these milkshakes differ? Uh, And the way they did this, okay, so bear with me because it's a little bit gruesome, uh, basically involved using dead pig tongues. So they got pig tongues from, uh, you know, from a a butcher, mounted them on like a plastic strip um, and then set up their equipment so that they could basically rub uh, two tongues together with their, you know, a little bit of their milkshake between them and basically measure the kind of smoothness of the sample by how much friction was generated when these two bits of tongue rubbed against each other. So they were then basically able to say the really high fatty milkshakes were the smoothest. Okay, so then they got volunteers to taste all the different milkshakes and basically say which ones they liked and how much money they would pay to have a whole glass of it. So they were working out what was people's preference and they could then relate that back to, so what was that, you know, their preference based on, um, or how did that uh, look compared to the smoothness of the of the, of the the texture of the milkshakes. Then the next really cool bit was to put people in an MRI machine and so get them to test it again and then see what happened in their brains. Were there bits of their brains that lit up uh, that were different when they were tasting these different um, uh, milkshakes with different amounts of fat in them. And I was like, how do you put somebody in an MRI machine and get them to to drink milkshakes? So they'd basically developed this quite cool little device that went into somebody's mouth and then they kind of pumped in little amounts of um, of milkshake uh, so they would be laid in the machine they'd get a little taster of the of you know one of the milkshakes then they'd get a little squirt of artificial saliva to wash it away and then they'd get the next one and so they were then basically um you know scanning their brains to see what happened and the super cool thing was that they basically found that there's a region of our brain called the orbitofrontal cortex that responds to those samples that have got really high fat in them so it's like our brain recognizes it. And there's differences between people. So some people's brains seem to be more sensitive to that, to the kind of smoother, fattier um, samples. And then the last little thing that they did was basically to um, trick people uh, by asking them to do a task and then saying to them, when you know, when you finish the task, you can go and have some meals that we've prepared. And they had a whole bunch of curries that they'd made that they were different in how much fat they, they had. And they said to them, just, you know, try them all and take whichever one you like. And basically the people whose um, orbitofrontal cortex has responded the most to that sort of smoothness, to that fattiness, um, ate more of the fatty curry and offered more money for fattier milkshakes. So it does look like there's something about that area of the brain 
and that differs between people. And what they want to do now is can we trick the brain into thinking healthier foods are fatter or fattier to make them more delicious? Yeah, I'm getting really cool. hungry, by the way. Uh, <laughs> hey, look, just a minute left uh, on diagnosing Parkinson's earlier. Again, is this AI related? What's the work that's happening? No, this one's a, a scanning related. I thought when I first read the t- title that was um, AI, but no, it's, it's scanning. So basically, uh, it's about trying to see whether you can detect the damage from Parkinson's before people start start to develop symptoms. And so with this one, it was a a researchers in Australia that took 26 people with Parkinson's disease. um, And then they took people uh, who didn't have Parkinson's disease and they gave them PET scans two years apart, looking for this particular marker that's known to be associated with uh, with, uh, Parkinson's. And then they did some kind of mathematical modeling, looking at all that data to see whether they could predict how fast changes were happening in somebody's brain, because that marker is a, is, a, is a marker of kind of neuronal damage. And the upshot is that basically this damage appears a lot like decades before somebody develops symptoms. And so maybe by looking for this marker, they could potentially identify Parkinson's in people like possibly 10 years or more before they actually develop symptoms, which would then make making treatments or interfering in that, you know, process much easier. Thank you so much. That is Susie Wiles. That is nine to noon for this Wednesday. Thank you all for your company. Have a really good afternoon and evening. We'll welcome you back at nine tomorrow. Ka kite.